0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the horseshoe, Tim. We kind of snuck our way back in here. Yeah, Uh, Of course, that's Tim May. I'm Spencer Holbrook. Actually, you know, we walked boldly through the gate is what we did. We did, yeah. Uh, That's obviously Tim May. I'm obviously Spencer Holbrook. This is obviously the Monday after. Uh, new weekly segment here at Letterman Row. Feels uh, like
1: it for me, man, with this cold, it's really knocking me down.
0: Well, that's okay, we're gonna power through, Tim. We appreciate your effort, uh, as do all the people. They appreciate you bringing the insight, despite <laughs> a little bit of a uh, feeling under the weather. Yeah. Uh, it's a chilly day, Tim. It kind of feels like fall now, dude. It does, uh, doesn't
1: it? I mean, this is my favorite time of year. That's why when I moved up from Texas, I stayed in Ohio. My parents moved back. God, I just I like the change of seasons. But I love football season weather in Ohio. I think it's almost perfect. Well,
0: it's a little bit of a false fault, Tim. I will tell you that we're gonna get yeah. sixty-five what that degrees in summer. Sixty-five degrees, seventy degrees, and then we're going back up to eighty. I think even Saturday it's going to be pretty warm. For Ohio State Toledo at seven o'clock on Big Ten Network. Uh, wish it kind of we we kind of wish that it wasn't a night game, but anytime you get to see the Buckeyes under the lights, we won't complain. Um, yeah, well,
1: man, let me ask you a question: Why do people have such a problem with Ohio State Toledo being at night, but not Ohio State Notre Dame? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, to me six one half dozen of the other I mean you understand what I'm saying. I prefer day games because by four or five o'clock we're done and we're home watching football again, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah the the problem for guys like me and you is we're working all day. On a night game, and then you stay here till midnight, finishing things off and stuff. But I think, I mean who? I mean, I used to go to night games, Alabama games at night, you know, in September, etc. When I was growing up, I had no problem with that. So if it's hot, I'd much rather if I was a player play at night than uh, middle of the afternoon on Saturday when it's eighty-six.
0: Well, this is a show where we can kind of talk about you know whatever we want. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. I think the biggest thing, Tim, is. Uh, with these non-conference games that don't mean anything, and you know, they all mean mean something. Okay, yeah,
1: hey, ask Nebraska if these non-conference games don't mean anything. And I understand that, but... but Or or Notre Dame.
0: All I'm saying here is... Or Texas (laughs) A&M. All I'm trying to say here is, these night games that kinda... Ohio State fans, I almost want to get them out of the way. You come to the stadium, you get here at noon for this uh, Arkansas State game, you're in traffic at four o'clock, you're home by five, you're eating dinner and watching the night game. Uh, you know, watching yep. USC, Stanford, or or Nebraska, Georgia Southern. Yeah. Uh, but the wow. other side of that coin is, you know, the Notre Dame game was such a build up. You want to tailgate for that. You want to be here all day. You want to do that. Whereas the Toledo game, yeah, maybe you want to. I don't know. I'm not going to put ideas in people's head. But you want to go to the pumpkin patch with your kids in the morning. You want to have, grab a lunch with a friend. Then you want to get down here and and you know tailgate maybe but it's not really a game that they you know a lot of people think is worth tailgating i'd love to hear from ohio state fans in the comments why notre dame and toledo are so different to have at night not to mention the recruiting atmosphere and just the general atmosphere and the buzz for a notre dame game aside from a toledo game they're just completely different and so you know some ohio state fans would rather toledo be out of the way by by four o'clock and some would rather notre dame start at seven so they can drink and tailgate all day in the build-up
1: I was very impressed that 100,000 plus showed up at Ohio Stadium uh, this past Saturday to to watch Ohio State play Arkansas State for the first time. Maybe that was the novelty of it that drew them. (laughs) But it wasn't this fall off to whatever that was, 69 or 70,000 against, what was it, Akron last year or whatever it was. I mean, you you didn't know what kind of crowd to expect. See, I've always looked at Ohio State games as an event. And there are a lot of people that can't afford to pay the premium price on what, you know, select your ticket redistribution site for an Ohio State-Michigan game that can, who bellyache that maybe they don't get to go to an Ohio State game, you can definitely get into the Ohio State-Toledo game for a reasonable price and bring your family and stuff. I don't look at it as, well, am I gonna go to the pumpkin patch today, or am I I going to go to the Ohio State uh, football game, the number three team in the country playing right down the road? I'm gonna go to the event, the event, uh, the rare event, which is, uh, well, this year's eight home games. But it's yeah. usually a semi-rare event that you don't only only comes around ever so often, and to have that opportunity, I think, I think a lot of people are, are understanding that now. They're, this is the number three team in the country, uh, and it's it's only going to get better. I do believe.
0: And there's also, you know, a little bit of the, the idea of seeing a C.J. Stroud in person. Seeing That's what I'm talking about. Jackson Smith and Jigbae if he plays Certain in person. Seeing this defense work in person, uh, it is a, diff- a different feel. Uh, I sat at home for all the 2020 games just because of COVID and watched and it. It's just a little bit different. So, you know. Can you
1: he, imagine a view, though, of somebody sitting right here? We're on about the uh, 25-yard line of the south end as we do this in the uh, west deck, west stands. Getting to see that pass from Stroud to uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. down there at the goal line—this, what a perfect view that was of an amazing play of one of the elite quarterbacks who's ever played here, who's ever played in college football, really, to a receiver who's living up to his to his namesake, Marvin Harrison, making that play. You know, wow. You can't. Well, I guess you can buy the experience, (laughs) but you know.
0: So. Let's go back in time a little bit. Well, obviously, like I said, let us know in the comments what you think about Ohio State-Toledo being a night game, uh, the in-person experience of the horseshoe. I know some people have their gripes about this 100-year-old cathedral, but it's still a pretty cool place to be in, Tim, even on a Monday when it's well, it's dead. It's been refurbished
1: um, quite a bit since, yeah. since the first concrete was poured. But, yeah, this is one of those cool cathedrals in college football. Like I said, a long time ago in the 1920s and maybe early 30s, some. Some schools decided to build a big stadium and some didn't. Yeah, And, and Ohio, the ones that didn't got left behind.
0: Ohio State did, and here we are, Tim, 100 years later. So uh, let's talk about what happened in this 100-year-old building last Saturday, two days ago on September 10th, the Arkansas State game. Uh, I couldn't decide, Tim, I was trying to write a headline on Sunday morning, and I couldn't decide whether to call this game a rout. I know, I saw that.
1: Or whether I would have called it a romp.
0: Or whether to call it whatever you want to call it. It was 45-12. I'm Let me interrupt you, though. I know I'm getting mad. I
1: know I, there's one guy particularly is mad. I will say this. The first five minutes of the second half was a rout.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now go ahead. And so y- you kind of had a hard time characterizing this because there were some good moments. There were some bad moments. There was some stagnation uh, from this offense. There was some explosiveness from this offense. There were some... Uh, incredible plays by the defense. There were some lapses by a defense, particularly at the cornerback position. Um, hey,
1: when they're attacking you on the corners, man, you're not going to stop every uh, every arrow.
0: Yeah, and so uh, I guess now that you've had a couple days to digest what all happened, Tim, uh, just some thoughts on Ohio State 45, Arkansas State 12. Yeah, You know,
1: I went back and watched some uh, Arkansas State games from a year ago. They were fairly competitive then, but they kind of reshaped their team over the last uh, like eight, nine months with some transfers, et cetera. Plus, Bush Jones, forget about what he did at Tennessee. Bush Jones is a hell of a football coach. Great program, Uh, builds things the right way. I mean, like he did at Cincinnati, like he did at what, Central Michigan. And uh, you can see the beginnings of what he's building there at Arkansas State. And they stayed very disciplined, didn't turn the ball over, and they attacked the Ohio State defense, probably the way a lot of people are gonna do it from now on, they attack the edges of it. Hey, it's a one-on-one game out there. Stop it if you can. <clears throat> Denzel Burke had a tough day. Got pulled for a while. That might have even been planned, but went back in there, I thought played pretty well after he got back in there. But you, when you're on the corner and you're man-to-man, you're going to give up some plays. So that's the way I looked at the way Arkansas State attacked Ohio State's defense. But that only lasts for so long until the field gets shortened, and now you've got great athletes going against your guys, closing the gap a lot faster. And you kick field goals instead of uh, instead of scoring touchdowns. Then offensively, just like you talked about, I'm writing a story about that for Tuesday for Uh, It was feast or famine for the Ohio State offense. Boy, when it was a feast, though, it was like a buffet line where everybody got in line at all at the same time and just ran through it. Uh, when it was famine, you know, when's the when's the carved roast beef coming out? That's what you were thinking. And uh, because th- it's almost like Ohio State has too many options in its offense from the standpoint of plays available that Ryan Day and his staff can call. And sometimes when you're hitting the nail, right on the head of the nail, just keep hitting that nail the same way. They they could not match up with Marvin Harrison Jr. They did not match up very well at all with Emeka Egbuka. I mean, and then you get them sort of just with a step on somebody and the way C.J. Stroud can thread the needle like few others in college football this year from a quarterback standpoint, and then running wise, sometimes Ohio State made it look extremely easy when they just said to hell with it, we're going, we're coming gotcha. at you. Yeah. As opposed to other plays, when they didn't look so great, it's it's always going to be hit or miss a little bit with this kind of offense. But it was more hit or miss, I think, than
0: it should have been. So let's go back to the defense first because you you touched on both defense and offense. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the defense then transition back to that offense because you know something just popped in my head and when you're recording you just you got to get that out there. Yeah, you're going to uh, cover
1: that cough I just had though. You're going to cut that yeah, out, right?
0: Yep. Sweet. Okay. So, defensively, um, Arkansas State had a good game plan against Ohio State. Uh, get the ball out of James Blackman's hands. Yes. Before JT2 and low out and Company got to him. Yes. And every time they tried to drop back and and do a four or five step drop and get the ball out, it was a sack or it was a, a hurry or it was an incompletion because he had guys you know, breathing face. down his neck in his face. Um, so hitches will work when you're 80 yards from the end zone on this Ohio State defense because the corners are on an island, you yep. can complete a few hitches, and then it's a missed tackle here, a missed tackle there, and you're down the field. When the field gets shortened, though, that's when this Ohio State defense, which we saw a lot, almost there were years in the Trestle era, where it was a you know you called Ohio State Ben don't break you you remember all of those you know well, they, you yeah know, I've get, seen
1: that yeah, oh, yeah Earl Bruce era whatever right but, over down
0: the line. and I think you're gonna see that from Jim Knowles here okay. as def, as offenses try to attack those edges is it's easy to complete a hitch from plus from out from 80 yards out it's a lot harder when it gets down in the red zone to find lanes to run or to throw into this Ohio State I, defense I like
1: how you're rewording what I just said yeah but yeah. you're exactly right
0: and so you know it. It's going to be interesting to watch teams try to attack them because you. I don't think there's a team in the country, um, short of maybe, you know, the top four or five. But even you know, Alabama's offensive line looks shaky. Clemson's huh. offensive line shaky. You know, there are a few teams that are going to be able to block this front four that Ohio State throws at you consistently.
1: Maybe yes, yeah.
0: and so you're going to have to get the ball out quickly, and so you might get down the field. No matter who the opponent is, they might get down the field, but in that red zone, this defense sure knows how to yeah. how to stiffen up to them, and then. I'm not meaning to hijack the show, but let's go no. back to the offense here. It almost seemed to me, Tim, like Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, and I'm trying really hard to give the opponents more credit this season because I've always been like, "Well, Ohio State's just going to dominate," and, and you've noticed that I do that. But yeah,
1: I, I have noticed that. So I'm, this, I'm just giving you affirmation. This on is one of the was. best
0: teams in the country, though, and so it's, it's yeah. hard not to do that at points. But yes, it seems like Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, this offensive staff. Where okay, let's let's try to keep this run game a little vanilla. Let's try to keep this throwing game, you know, not show too much. And then when after a three and out, a couple three and outs, they'd say, okay, we need points. Uh, let's just go. And then they would. But throw. See, that, that
1: looks like like I asked Marvin Harrison Jr. after the game. Why don't you run that like his takeoff right here, right up this right up this seam right here? Uh, touchdown that C.J. Stroud hit him right in stride on you know the takeoff route. Mm-hmm. Why don't you run that once every three plays? Whatever. You go, well, you know, basically it's not that simple, you yeah. know? And I'm just going, well, boy, it sure looks that way sometimes. I mean, yeah. that's what I think gets the fans. The fans don't really, and uh, even the media sometimes, we don't really understand all the other, you know, machinations they go through. Yeah just like put the pedal to the metal and let her ride. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and I don't think at all Ryan Day treats any game like a scrimmage. No. He wants to score as soon as possible. Uh, but he also knows you've got to have a running game in November uh, in big-time games like they didn't have against Michigan last year uh, for a third and one or a fourth and one where you've got to be able to get that yard. And the only way you generate that is from confidence and getting it done uh, on the build-up. So, you know, it's, it's funny because you're – any game you go to, you're watching sort of a combo practice game all at the same time because you're trying to get guys confidence, and yet you also want to score as many points as possible.
0: Yeah, and so you know maybe what I'm trying to say is like Ohio State decided, okay, we're going to work out some of these, these kinks that we had and, and try to go down the field a little bit. Well, there's a three and out. Okay, well, let's, let's try this and see if we can get this kink worked out. Oh, well, that was a five play, excuse me, and punt. Okay, now we need points. Um, Marvin, go. And it, you know, throw a go route, and and it's open. And then you know, the next possession, uh, instead of having the the ground game where you're just trying to control the line of scrimmage, you actually do what they did against Notre Dame and pull those two offensive linemen, get up into the hole, and Trayvon Henderson's gone for for you know a 40-yard gain. Yeah, it was. It was one of those things where it just seemed like they obviously didn't open the playbook as much as they did against Notre Dame, but when they needed to open that playbook, they were more than willing to go in there and say, okay, let's pull the guard, pull the tackle, get out on the edge, Trayvon Henderson, touchdown. Let's, yeah. let's run the dig route to Emeka, Uh he catches it, or to Marvin, he catches it and runs the rest of the way for a touchdown. Let's sneak Mecca into the middle when two guys cover Cade Stover and get him over the middle for a touchdown because we know that that's going to work even if we didn't particularly wanna do it in this game. It just seemed like there were elements of this offense where they weren't calling a lot of creative plays, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we need to be creative here, let's get a touchdown.
1: Yeah, but you know, uh, I thought Arkansas State had some pretty good athletes in their secondary, for example. For sure. And the uh, one touchdown pass that C.J. Stroud threw, threw to Marvin Harrison, Jr., basically ran a deep dig route, didn't really you – know, a, a classic dig route As you go up, you turn like you're running a post, and then you come on across, uh, straight across. He ran more of just, a you know, basically a cross. Uh, but the way he sold it, the way he bent his body, and then came across, but the window there that he hit, because Cade Stover was releasing up the seam there, just to kind of get the safety's attention, uh, it's just, a, I'm trying to use some word other than marvelous, you know, for marvelous yeah. Marvin, but it was just a marvelous execution by both the quarterback and the receiver, and the receiver catches it dead in stride and just runs right to the corner for a touchdown. Uh, you, like you said. that. It's kind of like you go to a circus, and you got the high wire act doing their thing, and then they bring in the clowns, and some people like clowns and some people don't. And then they bring out, they bring the tightrope walker in. He's doing flips on the tightrope, and then they bring in the elephants, and wow, there's the elephants. But you know, get that tightrope walker. It's that's kind of what it's like watching Ohio State football's offense. You know, and uh, I've been more keen though watching the defense uh, this year because you're seeing things. Yeah, they gave up. Several drives, and we already touched on why because you know they got hit on the edges and and gave up a few plays, and boom, the ball goes down the field. But this defense, man, you just see a little nuances every week. Well, every week, two weeks, they're a little bit different. I think they're feeling much more at home, confident with that front seven or front six, mm-hmm. depending how you want to define it. Uh, the way they're doing things, especially with Jack Sawyer involved. Uh, but now, like you said, I want you to get to the guys that you think because you wrote a story about that at lettermanroad.com, the five guys you think took steps in this game that could bode well for them the next several weeks.
0: Well, since you talked about defense, we'll stay, we'll, we'll start on defense, and I'm actually going to start on special teams. Uh, I have been immensely impressed with Polly Neoteote. He is a guy who probably did not expect this to be his role as a senior at yeah. Ohio State when he transferred here. Former, uh, I think, second or third-team All-Pac-12 guy at linebacker yeah. for USC, Yeah, and transferred here to shore up a linebacker room that needed help. Didn't have a, a really a, a contributing role last year. Yeah, and now I mean that the Oregon
1: sudden, game is one all those linebackers would like to throw <laughs> away or have back, but go ahead.
0: And then to come in this year and know that Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are the leading two linebackers, they bring in another transfer linebacker in Chip Tranum, who seems to be making progress here on the field as he yes. gets his feet wet. I think he's going to have a bigger role moving forward. Poly Neoteote, though, has been a special teams ace for Ohio State. He's in on almost every kickoff tackle. He's down the field quicker than anybody because he has that quickness from a, a speedy linebacker spot, and he's a sure tackler. Yeah. And so, I guess what I'm saying here is, not every transfer you take is going to be a home run, you know, Justin Fields, Jonah Jackson, Trey Sermon transfer, but this team kind of, not needs, but really benefits from having a guy like Neo Teote out there because he had a tackle inside the 15 against Notre Dame on a kickoff. He had a tackle at the 16 against Arkansas State. He's the two-time now Special Teams Player of the Week for Ohio State, splitting that with Xavier Johnson last week and getting it outright this week. He's been good for the Buckeyes. And Who's I, your next guy? The next guy is absolutely Caden Curry, and I know you're excited to talk about him, so let's get into it, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I was
1: talking about on the radio this morning with you know our buddies Brandon Beam and Bobby Carpenter. Uh, just, just watching him getting ready on the – before the play starts it's just this guy has something ticking in his head that uh, maybe it's a time bomb i don't know what's going on in his head but he just wants so much to be in on the action and then to watch him turn that into what four tackles or whatever it was on saturday in that mop-up role uh i think people just got a taste of what he's all about but he is always in pursuit of the football or the person with the football and that's what stands out to me about him and where it's going to take him he looks like a he looks like a, a four-fifths version of one of the Bosa brothers to a certain extent. And then throw Chase Young into that equation too. Just I'm not saying he's like those guys. Yeah, he, no. He'll be his own guy, but just his quick step, his his eagerness to be in on the action. Basically, I call him one of those last frame guys. There's a bunch of last frame guys on his defense. He wants to be on that last frame of the video yeah. of a play where he is at the football, you know, when the play is over, no matter where the football is. You can't. I don't think you can even coach that. I mean, and they've got several guys that that fit that bill, but watch out for Caden Curry as this season
0: develops, and especially maybe this week uh, against Toledo. So there's an obvious drop-off, Tim, <clears throat> from JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison to the next crop on that defensive line when you talk about Javante Jean-Baptiste and Tyler Friday at defensive end, who are great players in their own right. Yeah. But the, the talent gap, you can see it when those guys are on the field. It's just that's part of football. Yeah. I don't see necessarily, and I know it was against the twos, so I'm going to pump the brakes a little right, right. on Caden Curry. But I don't really see a huge drop-off between that second-team defensive end grouping and Caden Curry. I
1: don't either. And so
0: as Larry Johnson goes through this and as Jim Knowles goes through this, you almost wonder if they're starting to see the same things in practice and in games. And maybe Caden Curry starts to get a little bit of that run with the second-team defensive Jim line. Jim
1: Knowles lives, I mean, he you know he'll probably disagree, I don't care. Uh, Jim knows lives by the credo. How can we just mess with the offense's mind? You know, one way you mess with it is a guy makes a play, and next thing you know, the quarterback is out of the corner of his eye—at least—is looking for him. Yep, he's in on the play. Caden Curry has the uh, has the uh, has the chance to be another one of those guys on this defense. You've you, whether you uh, whether you admit it or not, you're adjusting your play. Based on, this guy may be in here quicker than you know. But just creating havoc is what Jim Knowles wants for that front six.
0: There's a, on the first team defense, you can see there's an obvious concern where 44 is at all times. JT yeah. while is making that kind of impact already. He's not getting the sacks because they're getting the ball out of their hands quickly. Both Tyler Buckner and, and James Blackman and I imagine they'll do the same at Toledo this week. But 44 is a guy you have to know where he is. That second team offense, um, you know, if it gets to that against Toledo, it's going to have to know where 92 is. And that's yeah. just a fact. Yeah. Uh, the last guy on the defense that I, that I highlighted, and it's worth a conversation, is Ja'Kalen Johnson. Uh, maybe we'd be talking about Jordan Hancock if he was available to play. Yeah. Because Ohio State needed a third cornerback on Saturday. Denzel Burke, um, and we won't sugarcoat it, he, he didn't have his best stuff. Uh, against Arkansas State. Two pass interference calls. Got burnt on a double move down the sideline. uh, Gave up a couple others. He did have a nice pass breakup to his credit. Um, But through two games, Tim, he just doesn't seem like the same player uh, as he was as a true freshman. Maybe that's a little bit of a sophomore uh, slump just to start the season.
1: Some people have have a a bad day. I think I thought he had kind of a bad day. But you're right. I mean, I think everybody's eyes on him now. Maybe for a little bit of the wrong reason. But I don't think that's far-fetched in what you're saying.
0: And so, Jaquelin Johnson now has a big opportunity in front of him. He played, uh, you know, for a couple series as a starter when Denzel Burke was sat down and maybe calmed down, given a little bit of a, you know, a reprieve, uh, like he will on Saturday against Toledo. Uh, hey, it's not your day. Let's let's see what happens with Jake with Johnson. Yeah. And maybe you can get back in the game later. Maybe we'll just start you again against Toledo. So it's just something to keep an eye on because if Jaquelin Johnson or J.K. as he's known on the roster now. Progresses and gets better, and Jordan Hancock comes back and gets better. You might start to talk about Cameron Brown and the other corners rather than Denzel Burke and the other
1: guys. Oh, I don't know. I think Denzel Burke's going to bounce back. Well, I mean, I think he's, he has all the ingredients. I mean, he may even be dealing with something. Who knows? You know yeah, what I mean? But yeah. uh, I mean, he was just barely off on several of those plays, but barely when you're out there on the island. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's where offenses are going to try to attack this high state defense because it's becoming quite a quite obvious to everybody, the middle of the field is, uh, is that's a tough zone, especially with those, those safeties playing, the, go- the games they're playing, etc. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes.
0: And I'm not saying that Denzel Burke's going to get benched. I, I don't want that to be out there. But I do think it's worth a conversation of, you know, what can Ja'Kalen Johnson do to help this defense? What can yeah. Jordan Hancock, when he comes back, do to help this defense? Well. You've got a guy like Denzel Burke, who maybe his confidence is a little shaken. Maybe he's just having an off day. Those guys can step in yep. and uh, become playmakers for this first team defense. Um, that's the defensive side, Tim. Uh, we can flip over to the offensive side now if you'd like. Uh, Tim, you guessed one of my guys that I that I named as a uh, offensive stock up stock riser, if you will. Uh, Cade Stover, the tight end. He's a captain. He's an Iron Buckeye. Oh, maybe an Iron Buckeye, if I can remember correctly. He was. Uh, not a guy that you would expect to have his stock he rise. Yeah. It's, it's not like it can get any higher. He's the starting tight end over He's it's a be, captain. One of the best offenses in the country. But his stock is rising right now because he's got, uh, you know, six catches through – or five catches through uh, two games. And he had a 35-yard catch and run. It looked pretty impressive. He, he's a target for C.J. Stroud, no doubt. Yeah.
1: My buddy Jake Ballard, uh, Jeremy Ruckard probably are all looking going, wait a minute, huh, wait a minute, huh, what? Wait a minute. I'm telling you, man. I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million and one. If a quarterback, quarterback, it, sometimes it comes down to the quarterback is making a choice. You get the tight end involved in your passing game. I'm talking about catching the ball. It opens things up elsewhere. And what's the other thing I say about the tight end? Nobody covers the tight end consistently in college football. Uh, or in this. Uh, uh, Jim Knowles said, "You seem to be fixated with the tight end." I go, "Yeah, I am. I would throw the ball to the tight end five, eight, ten times a game, just based on situations." And like we were talking about, I, did we did we name G Scott as an, another guy that to watch? No, but go ahead. <clears throat> but like getting G Scott in this past week as a lined up as a quote true tight end bodes well for high state down the road. We talked about this a little bit in the spring. You know, if a guy goes in the game and he's a quote tight end. He needs to establish himself on video as lining up as a true tight end, not out in the flank all the time. Not yep. like Michael Mayer at Notre Dame. You know that, I think that show has run its course at Notre Dame. You're not going to win with a tight end and one reasonable wide receiver in major college football against decent teams. And, yeah, Marshall is a decent team. But, uh, and of course, High State's a decent team. <laughs> and, but my point is, if they can get G. Scott established on the opponent's video as a real tight end, and then you start doing things with him because we all know he's a beefed up wide receiver. He, he sees himself as like, like that tweener guy that will have a role in the NFL if a team tag, takes him, if he proves himself on this level, and uh, it just opens up all kinds of things for you offensively. But you still have to, you want them, if you put him and Kate Stover on the field, Together, you want the defense looking at it as 12 personnel, yep. not 11 personnel, yep. you understand? And uh, so that's been a quest for the Ohio State offense. I know early in this season, we'll see if that follows, but I think G. Scott's up for the deal.
0: Yeah, G. Scott set up a block <clears throat> a block to set up a Trayvon Henderson touchdown. Yeah, It was a great block, it was a kickout block, and he did a great job. And so you give a lot of credit, tip your hat to him. Uh, back to Cade Stover a little bit, just if I, if I can, Tim. He caught a tight end wheel route um, for 35 yards, like I said earlier in this video. And then a couple possessions later, maybe even a full quarter later, he ran another uh wheel route and two guys followed him. And guess who was wide open in the middle of the field? The best playmaker right now for this offense, Emeka Buka. Yep,
1: yeah, they also and, blitzed the safety on that play. Yeah, that always yep. But the way he ran that little delayed takeoff right up the seam, that was just, Marvelous to watch. Well, I keep using that word,
0: <laughs> but two guys followed Cade Stover yeah. for a reason, and that's because they already showed that they're willing to run that tight end wheel route. Well, now you got to account for Cade Stover, and Emeka Ibuka played it perfectly. Yeah. But and it was like was a patient. It,
1: was, it was such a happenstance or serendipity because the guy who would be over the top on Emeka Ibuka blitzed, you know what I mean? It's like you, like we were talking about it a while ago, why don't they run that play every time? Well, because that's not necessarily the way the defense is playing you on that particular play. Yep. But no, that was a great observation on your part. And then, boy, when you establish, like I said, when you establish a tight end as a he's got to catch the ball sometimes, it changes everything. Yep, absolutely. And so, who's so your other guy,
0: the other guy, Tim, is the guy I just mentioned. And it's almost unfair to put him in this category, but. Through two games, Emeka Ebuyuka is absolutely uh, three games becoming a well three games yeah but, yeah the Rose Bowl
1: he had a good Rose Bowl
0: but we're you know at this season it's a different roster it's a different team yeah uh, through two games he has been very very good over hundred yards on four catches in this one uh, against Arkansas State out here on Saturday because of that long catch and run uh, twenty seven yards on a. On a handoff, I think that was actually a tip, a tap pass. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. It might have been a handoff. that have been but a jet,
1: whatever. Twenty-seven
0: yeah. yards there. Uh, so he had a, almost 150 yards of total offense, yeah, just to himself. Nine catches for 90 yards and a touchdown against Notre Dame. This guy is a is becoming a bona fide playmaker in this offense. Um, and in my a. opinion, Tim, you can get into it just in a second. When I'm, when Jackson Smith and Jigman Julian Fleming come back. You still have to get the ball to that guy He's proving himself that he needs the football in his hands.
1: He is not intimidated at all about being on the edge and making a cut. He proved that as a kickoff returner last year. Uh, there's some fearless, fearlessness to him. Uh, the word I would use is undaunted. He makes one cut and goes. goes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yep. But, you know, uh, I've, I've been singing his praises for a while now. Plus, man, what what a joy to talk to that guy. I mean, I just very smart. a lot of guys on this team. I enjoy talking to and He's definitely one of them. He's very smart. Uh, he sees things. He figures things out, uh, as the coaches have said about him, uh, and that just bodes well for him down the road. And like, like uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. said in my story this you know today uh, at LettermanRow.com. They're they're not being placeholders. These guys were counted on as being starters in this offense. He and Emeka Egbuka. They're going to be so much better, as he points out, though when Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jackson Smith and Jigba returns without a doubt, Uh, but we saw this combo in the Rose Bowl that was such a bonus to have that what I call extra spring game where you got to, these guys got to play against a big time opponent in a big time setting and those two guys stepped up big time. We all know what Jackson Smith and Jigba did, he put on a show, Uh, but you know, it's uh, it's
0: coming to fruition now that the next wave has arrived. And I think it's important, Tim, for this offense to, without Jackson Smith and Jigba, the last two weeks basically, to establish a Mecca because now you can't really, and defenses can do whatever they want, but I would advise not double teaming Jackson Smith and Jigba when he comes back because Ryan Day will just take it with a Mecca and be okay with it, or take it with Marvin Harrison Jr. So. Not only was it important to get those guys reps in the Rose Bowl and to get them accustomed with C.J. Stroud in the offseason and to get them their targets against Notre Dame, whether Jackson was in there or not, but to show these guys have 180 and 118-yard potential in them. Yeah. No matter what, now when Jackson... Three the, touchdown potential. Four touchdowns combined. Exactly. Records, now, when Jackson of the Jimmer comes back, folks, uh, good luck defending this offense because if you want to take away the country's top receiver, They're just going to throw it for 180 yards to to, uh, Marvin Harrison, Jr., and 118 yards to Emeka Ibuka and beat you that way. And so, again, uh, for Toledo, as we move forward a little bit, Tim, let's preview Toledo. Well, Yeah,
1: but I was going to say, consistency is what Ryan Day is now seeking from this offense because I think he's done a real good job of getting another check mark for his running game, which he wanted to get fixed in the offseason. Check. And when you add that to what the potential that you just showed uh, for the guys on the outside, sometimes from the slot, sometimes from the backfield. Who knows where Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to line up next once he gets back from that hamstring. This is a tough, this will be a tough defense to defend. Now, with that said, we saw it get defended a couple times last year. You know what I mean? And uh, you've got to be on point. The thing about this offense is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, yeah, I always say Ferrari, but I'm not a big, huge fan of Ferrari, but it's kind of like, a, especially in Formula One this year, but it's kind of like a Ferrari engine. It's got to be hitting on all cylinders to really get your attention. And when it is hitting all cylinders, look out, it can do damage. But if one cylinder is kind of missing, which is I, I happened occasionally, even this year, uh, it, can, it can be as vulnerable as any other. So that's what Ryan Day is seeking, man. If there's a holy grail, it's like, wow. You know, get this offense clicking from from the get go.
0: So, you just talked about being a Ferrari. Ferraris are also expensive to fix. Uh, yes, they $1. are. One point nine million dollars to fix Jim Knowles, fix the defense uh, with Jim Knowles. A uh, couple hundred, a th- few hundred thousand dollars to get Justin Fry here to fix this running game, and they- everything seems to be clicking right now. Uh, but Saturday night at seven o'clock on Big Ten Network against Toledo, Ohio State will have to prove it yet again. Uh, Maybe with Jackson Smith and Jigba, maybe with Julian Fleming, we don't really know. We saw them warming up uh, over here in the south end zone before the game, uh, before any Buckeyes took the field. They were two out here almost getting their calories burnt instead of warming up. They were doing some wind sprints and jogs and and stretching. Um, Big sweat pants and shirts on. First thoughts, Tim, on this Ohio State versus Toledo matchup, I'm intrigued by... Left tackle, right tackle versus the Toledo pass rush. He was two really good guys off the edge. Yeah. Um, where, where do you see first thoughts on this matchup?
1: <coughs> I tell you what's intriguing to me. Dallas Gantt, former Ohio State linebacker, transferred to Toledo, and I think he's led them in tackles the first two games, or at least right at the top. There's a guy that's going to come in, uh, you know, maybe looking to prove a point, but he knows he he knows he belongs on this field. Yeah. You know. Uh, Daquan Finn is that the uh, quarterback's name? This guy's a really good playmaker. Uh, obviously, they scored fifty-five points uh, this past weekend against the Minutemen. They almost went fifty. They almost went a point a minute against the Minutemen. Huh? <laughs> I see what you did. Give it up to me there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah it was pretty corny. But uh, the bottom line is they they feel pretty good. I mean, a blowout can do wonders for you from a confidence standpoint. This is not the Massachusetts defense they're going to be running into here, though. Uh, so what I see basically is a is a hard-fought game between an in-state rival or, or a team that wants to be an in-state rival in Ohio State. This series only started what in 1993 or something after Ohio State started playing in-state foes again. Ohio State's up 3-0 in it but the last time Toledo came in here in 2011 almost a forgettable season for Ohio State I think the final score was 27-22. Bottom line is Toledo's gonna come in here like gangbusters, this is their shot, you know? And anybody is, as uh, uh, their coach said after the game the other day, anywhere around the country, if you're not on your game, somebody can beat you. Yep. So that's Ohio State's quest is that competitive stamina as uh, Ryan Day keeps pushing. It has to be on display again on Saturday night in the stadium because Toledo has some players, man, uh, nice players. Uh, Mid-American Conference caliber and above, like I just pointed out,
0: Dallas can. So Toledo recruits at the best level in the MAC. You know, as a guy who follows the MAC really, really closely, you know, proud MAC graduate, um, Toledo is a good football team. I'm not gonna discount what they do at all. Uh, And then you take it a step further, Tim, and I know Wisconsin just lost, but Ohio State's got a big, uh, you know, matchup against Wisconsin on deck right after this Toledo game. Yes. It's almost like a little bit of a look-ahead spot for the Buckeyes, and you can't walk in here uh, with a home crowd and expect to just roll Toledo. Um, I will say, though, there's a different feel for guys, and we'll get back to our point as we wrap this show up, you know, it comes full circle. There's a little bit of different feel for guys, you know, you get under the lights and that, the juices just get flowing a little more. So maybe Ohio State, you know, doesn't roll in here like like they kind of did a little bit against Arkansas State, a sleepy day in the horseshoe and noon starts, you know, you know, hot day out. No, you're going to get a, a nighttime atmosphere, whether it's, you know, 110,000 like it was for the Notre Dame game or not, you're going to get a, a good effort from the Buckeyes, in my opinion, because, you know, I just think that the competitive juices start flowing when you see those lights click on and, you know, yeah, I but think man, but Yeah, but but Ryan Day, all he has to do, just roll
1: out some scores from this past weekend, man, when yeah. teams aren't on, like Jason Candle referred to from, from Toledo, you're not on, you can get beat. Absolutely. Everybody's got players. Yep. Some people don't have as many players uh, as, uh, some people don't have as many players as like an Ohio State or Alabama. But they've got guys that can play, yeah. and uh, that's what stands out about this. And so I think I understand. I think Ohio State, this team, seems to get the urgency or the uh, of the situation. But you know, you got to show it.
0: Yeah, you've got Marshall beating. Uh, Notre Dame. You've got Texas A&M losing to App State at home, and a pretty shocking uh, result. You've got a couple other games around the country. Well, Nebraska
1: I beat by Georgia Southern, yep. and Scott Frost got fired the next day.
0: Yeah, and then you even go a step further, and you know I didn't have a lot of faith in a Washington State team beating Wisconsin, but Wisconsin didn't look prepared to play in that game. And Washington I mean, State's a pretty good football yeah, team. And Washington State got the best of them, and so. And
1: here's Texas, which I don't think is still on anywhere close to the level of Alabama. You make you you have like the mistakes Alabama had at Texas noon, 11 a.m. start there, you could get beat if you're Alabama, and they almost did. Yep. I mean, Texas almost beat Alabama with a kicker named Albert, burt Albert.
0: Go figure. <laughs> that would have been a hell of a headline, Albert beats Bama. Well, it didn't happen. And what also didn't happen was Arkansas State and Ohio State being in a close game. Ohio State 45, Arkansas State 12. Uh, we're going to put that game uh, in the rearview mirror. We're going to close the book on that one, move forward with Toledo. Um, But that's Tim May. I'm Spencer Holbrook. Thanks for uh, tuning into the morning, the the Monday after. It's easy for me to say. Uh, If you're not already subscribed, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, We produce videos just about every day. Tim and I's content right now on LettermanRow.com along with Matt Parker, our recruiting writer. Uh, $1 for the entire year, folks. That is an absolute steal. Uh, Go ahead and and subscribe there. Join us on the Letterman Lounge message board. We'll be there all week talking about Ohio State Toledo at 7 o'clock on Big Ten Network inside the horseshoe, and we will see you there.